Welcome back to the FCS Football Podcast presented by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Sean Anderson out in Virginia. And today is a great day, folks, because we can finally transition into talking about the 2020 FCS season. No longer do we have to break down teams from last year and cover topics that are in the past. We can finally look ahead and start focusing on the upcoming season. Now, I I know it sounds crazy early. It's April 7th when this show is coming to you. Still, there's there's a lot of stuff to cover. There's a a lot of things for us to break down here and fill you in on every single conference, as well as every single position group, which we're gonna be doing in the coming weeks for a continuous streak right up until that very first game on week zero. Along also with that, we're also going to be trying to get some additional content that we didn't do last offseason, so stay tuned for that. We're just trying to wait out and hope for the best time to do some of those things. But like I said, stick around for some some new things that we're going to try and bring to the FCS podcast during this wonderful offseason. So today's show, we're going to be doing the Ivy League and then also just touching upon the independent teams because we have a couple new teams that we just want to let you know about that are moving up to the FCS level or moving from conference to the independents. But the one that we're going to be doing the deep dive on is the Ivy League. There's a ton of great players to analyze here. And Sean, when we were going through this, it, it, this thought popped in my head. I'm looking at all these guys and seeing their majors. And some of these guys, it says that they're they're not even enrolled in the school or the major that they intend to do just because it's so competitive and hard to get into those programs at their schools. And it just made me think, do you think you could handle a full season and being an engineering major or like an economics major, something crazy like that in Ivy League school? No, of course not. Care to elaborate? That is a, that, that's a task for the valiant. I mean, that is... It's hard enough just being a regular student at those schools. Given uh, an extra student athlete workload, is just uh, they're doing the Lord's work there in the Ivy Leagues, and you just have to respect it. And it's not like that's the only smart school. I mean, Stanford football players have to also, and Stanford student athletes also have to do that. Notre Dame, um, University of S- Southern California uh, student athletes definitely have to do that. Far superior school to Notre Dame. Um, not even close. But, but it, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, it really is. No, it's not. I believe the quality of life at the University of Southern California. Have you been to the University of Southern California? Is much greater. Have you? Than do you know where it's located? University of Notre Dame. Do you know where it's located in L.A.? It's located in like one of the one of the worst parts of L.A. It's not like a, in a nice. It's not a nice campus. It's not like it's a. Oh yeah, where's Notre Dame located? South Bend, Indiana. Oh, it's Indiana. Much more. That's great. It's much nicer than being in the middle of L.A. You know what else happened in Indiana? Indiana. What? The, the Ku Klux Klan was originated and founded in Indiana. Well, what? What kind of... Where, where are you pulling that from? What the... F- <laughs> All right. Okay. One of my boys at Indiana State filled me in on that fun fact. <laughs> Wait, didn't... So, yeah, it the, Indiana. Okay, whatever. Out. All right, well, continue your point about the Ivy League schools. Continue my point? I'm just saying it's very impressive seeing what they do. I mean, I was a comm major. You were a journalism major. Mm-hmm. Basically the same thing. And no, they're was, very different. They're different programs. Basically the same thing. So <laughs> I, having to see, I mean, if there was anybody on our team that was in like a science major or something of that nature, 
then we were all astounded. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, do you remember Adam Parker? Yeah, he had a really, really vigorous um, out of football schedule because of his, his grades and stuff like that. And then, I mean, Mez was a pharmacy right. major, which never happens. He was the only pharmacy guy on our team. It's just you're looking at these guys like you're a machine. You're a, you're a cyborg. You're not from this world because <laughs> it's either business or calm or criminal justice. Really? May I? Right. Yeah, that was what the the big makeup of it was. It it really is just so amazing to consider that these guys can be so stellar on the field and also dominate in the classroom and go on to have very vigorous lives, you know, in the business world or whatever they end up doing. And there's a lot of really smart, incredible people that come out of these these football programs uh, because of the you know just the work ethic that they have. I I really don't know. Like you said, I really don't think that I could handle it. I'd probably have to not be doing any of the outside of school and football things that I do, like all you know the shows that right. that we work on together. It would probably be just straight school, straight football, and then I'll get to that stuff when I graduate, kind of thing. Because it, I'm sure the amount of work that you have to do is probably through the roof. Uh, you know, I'm also sure that they probably take summer classes to kind of lighten the load a little bit, but still, right. that only that only does so much. So we're going to break down the Ivy League for you, like I said. But before we do that, Sean has a wonderful message from one of our sponsors. Well, Joe, if you follow me on Instagram at SeanAnderson65, you'll notice I took a photo with me and my uh, wonderful young dog. Not dog. Not young. He's like eight, nine years old. He's not a dog. But in the photo... I am wearing a plain gray Fruit of the Loom t-shirt, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this is the t-shirt that you were wearing? And I'm just regretting not reaching out to True Classic Tees, because let alone that they're a sponsor on the show. You go to their website, you're like, wow, these shirts are legitimate shirts like they're just shirts that you would look good in my instagram photo would look better if i was in a true classic t shirt these shirts look soft they hold up in the wash they're incredibly versatile they're everything that you need in the shirt and they are ridiculously cheap cheap in the sense that they're only 15 dollars and now you can get them for even less. Go to trueclassictees.com and use the code at checkout BLEAV for 20% off. That's BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V at trueclassictees.com. All right, Sean. Now let's start getting into this Ivy League football that we're going to be talking with you today. And I know you know people like to talk about the fact that it's, it's frustrating that the Ivy League doesn't participate in in the playoff and all that, but still there are a ton of really good football players, a ton of really good teams because they can still recruit with some of these top level FBS programs. There's guys that have offers from Alabama that will choose to come to these Ivy league institutions because, or conversely also there's guys at Alabama that have offers from schools like Harvard because they want to get that incredible education. They decide to come to these programs, and they still have plenty of opportunities to play in the NFL. So last year, I would like to note that we picked, and we're going to do this every single time, last year we picked 
for the winners, I picked Yale and Sean picked Dartmouth. And yes, sir. the winner in the standings of the Ivy League was Dartmouth, 6-1 and one record, but I was a close second. Yale six and one. I'm really looking forward to see how far off we were in some of these conferences because <laughs> Sean, I, I kid you not, I looked through some of them and oh my god, we weren't even close. <laughs> and there were some dudes we brought up in the beginning of the season that just <laughs> were not, were just fell off the map. Um, but uh, Darman, nobody's perfect. What'd you say? Nobody's perfect. Yeah, exactly. First year in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Dartmouth nine and one, Yale nine and one. Right behind them was Princeton, who had a slight down year after winning the Ivy League the previous season, eight and two, five and two. I think we predicted that they were going to have a a slight drop off, but Kevin Davidson did help them stick that's around. A real down year, right there. Yeah, I know that's an incredible year. Eight two. Uh, well, but in the Ivy League, you need to have one loss or less yeah. to win it. Right after them was Penn five and five, and then slowly down the list it starts to get worse and worse. Cornell four and six, and then Harvard having a really really down year, four and six as well. the The one headline I want to acknowledge from the bottom of the conference, Brown, they made headlines. We didn't really touch upon this when it became headlines because we wanted to save it for this. They made history by hiring the first female position coach at the Division One level, hiring Heather Marini as their quarterbacks coach. They have a really good quarterback room, so Marini is going to be stepping into an amazing opportunity and honestly wishing her nothing but success because the Ivy League has had a um, had a history of hiring female coaches and they've always done incredible jobs. And I believe you knew one of the coaches at Dartmouth because she previously coached at your high school, right? Yeah, Kelly Brown. She actually went to my high school and she played uh, professional women's football for the D.C. Divas. And now she's with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, that's just a, a testament to how you know incredibly smart and, and, and talented she was. And then now also Marini. And you also have taken into account, I think a lot of these Ivy League schools will, will seek out people that feel that they that represent the school well in in terms of you know intelligence so a lot of these people are very very smart and well educated and just great football minds so good luck to her and brown this upcoming season for key returning players first person that we want to bring up is someone who had an incredible rushing season last year despite being an underclassman a little bit under the radar because there were some guys that rushed over there was one guy that rushed over a thousand yards but he still this guy still led the conference in rushing touchdowns that's Colin Eady Princeton running back he's 5 foot 11 210 last year he only mm-hmm. had 799 rushing yards but that was only on 159 carries giving him a 5.0 average i think if you give him some more carries he's going to continue to rack up more yards and if he gets over 200 touches He'll be well over a thousand yards and maybe pushing that fifteen touchdown mark, but probably a little bit closer to twelve. Edie, arguably, if not the best returning running back in this conference. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's him, and it, he's at the top right now. So all the other Ivy League running backs are going to have to try and knock him off. The next player on the list, keep uh, your name, uh, your ears. Uh, in tune he will be possibly getting brought up later on brown quarterback ej perry the former bc transfer led the nation in total offense ivy league record for total offense he's a big guy six foot two 210 last year he had 730 rushing yards and eight touchdowns rushing and he also had 
uh, uh, 3,000 passing yards, 22 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions. He does, though, I'm glad Joe made this note, <laughs> have a minus four-yard punt. I, uh, I Is that... A whiff? Is it? I don't know. I didn't see it. I just thought that was funny when I was going through his stats. Because you you have to mess up really bad to um, punt at negative four yards. And notice that he only had one punt. So I'm sure that the coach, uh, their Ah. head coach was like, yeah, we're not doing that again. (laughs) Well, yeah, uh, I I believe I'll be giving a little more details on EJ Perry later on. So, Joe, why don't you uh, get on to our next guy? Yeah, I'll be breaking down Perry a little bit too later, but just a hugely talented quarterback coming from the FBS level. We'll we'll save our our deep analysis on him towards the end. Our next player, Ryan Cragen, 6'1", 185, junior wide receiver from Penn. Last year, he did not break the 1,000 receiving mark, but he did have 885 yards, 58 receptions, and three touchdowns. That's a pretty strong season for a guy that was an Ivy sophomore last year. There's typically not a lot of guys that go over that 1,000 yard mark for whatever reason a lot of run heavy teams for the most part but still that is a really really good season for the uh, pen wide receiver Cragen. there's a pretty good shot that if you do that as a sophomore that you can get close to a thousand yards in your next season yeah i think if you eclipse that 850 yard mark then the next year it's pretty reasonable to say they can get to a thousand pretty easily now someone who just fell shy of that 850 yard mark jacob Bermelin, sorry, the the I and the M got a little jammed up Attaway. in my uh, my eyes in my optics. Uh, senior wide receiver from your Princeton, on. five foot nine, one hundred seventy pounds. Last year he had sixty catches, seven hundred sixty-seven yards, and three touchdowns. Also a punt returner for Princeton. You're really hoping that this guy senior year he can elevate his game. I mean, you see these uh, really productive junior years uh, that Bermelin had and if you can elevate it it can only help Princeton yeah like I said not a lot of guys that really hit over that 1,000 yard mark that are even returning there's nobody returning that went over a thousand yards and it's just a lot of senior dominance for the best receivers so uh Bermelin and this and being a part of that Princeton offense really helps him and I think that having that ability to step up and be a senior he'll he'll very likely have a more productive final season Typically, probably a you know a boost in five to ten receptions, and hopefully he gets over that 850 yard receiving yard mark. Right yep. after him is our only tight end that we have on this list, and he's not. It wasn't entirely productive because he's a bit more of a, a an inline blocker, big dude. Carson Bobo, another Princeton player, junior tight end, six foot five, 240 yard of uh, 240 pounds rather. That's a pretty big tight end for an underclassman. I would not be shocked if he's playing at 250 or over coming this upcoming season because of him being an underclassman and being younger last year. But uh, 23 receptions, 229 yards, no touchdowns. Hopefully they can get him a little bit more production and use him a little bit more in their offense. But Princeton does like to use their tight ends a little bit more to block and uh, play at the line of scrimmage. Now, Joe, this next guy, it's surprising to me. Uh, Chad Broom, senior uh, left tackle at Brown. It says 6'4", 275. Now, that's probably fair, but that hill in the middle of Brown's field made me think that this guy was about 6'8". Uh, so, <laughs> When that's coming from you, you'd be assuming he was like, taller than you? I, I, You know how the the field setup is at Brown, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you're, sit, you're on the sidelines – 
and then it's just a a gradual curve to the middle of the field so everybody in the middle of the field if you're standing on sidelines looks like giants so i i, I mean he's very fundamentally sound from what we've seen and we've played against him uh, just about every year since we've been uh at your eye i mean he's fundamentally sound you know that that's the guy on brown's offensive lineman that you have to beat if you want to impact that game yeah, I know what you mean in terms of seeing that that size difference, and then once you get onto the field, you realize that everyone's either smaller than you or just not that big. <laughs> it, it actually is kind of a phenomenon now that, now that you bring it up. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, Broom, though, easily one of the biggest staples for that Brown offensive line. Only Brown linemen we have on this list, and one of the only few Brown guys we do have on here, but... Great player, not really ideal size for a left tackle. So if he does continue his career and have a good final year, he'll probably be bumping inside to guard or maybe even center. Right after him, though, Hunter Norzad, six foot four, three thirteen, good size on him. Junior right tackle from Cornell. He's going to be a junior this upcoming season, and that was his first year starting at Cornell. So when you see a guy that can step in, earn All Conference honors. In his first year as a starter, the ceiling is incredibly high for a guy like that. It definitely is, and you noted the size. It's good to see that that height and weight on an Ivy League uh, offensive lineman. Uh, the next Ivy League offensive lineman, Evan Hekimovich, uh, six foot two, two sixty five, is a senior center at Dartmouth. I mean, two sixty five. That's I need more weight from my guy, uh, especially at the. At the, at the apex of the line there. But, I mean, if he's getting these uh, all-conference honors, he must be a dude. I mean, he's just got to be a dude, right, Joe? Oh, easily. And if you're playing at 6'2", 265, you're definitely a monster in there. And if he adds on a little bit weight, it'll make him all the more better. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. After Hekimovich, Henry Bayard, 6'5", 285-pound junior offensive lineman, from Princeton last year he was a a pretty big contributor for that offensive line going to be a junior like I said and one of the big returning players for a a strong Princeton offense that's already losing their quarterback definitely and staying on the Princeton track here uh, now shifting to the defensive side uh, we'll start with Samuel Wright senior Princeton defensive lineman six foot two 250 last year racked up 40 tackles Five and a half tackles for loss and 4.5 sacks. I mean, he's the anchor on that defensive line. That's just, that's who Samuel Wright is. Not superly productive, but still pretty good production from Wright and and being able to tally five and a half tackles for loss and 4.5 sacks. Not a huge defensive lineman, six foot two, 250, but still decent production from him. After him, and it was a bit of an oddity, I noticed that there weren't any. Ivy League players that went over 100 tackles, but still a lot of really talented guys. Harvard linebacker Jordan Hill is one of them, six foot one, 220, had only 56 tackles, but also had two sacks, six tackles for loss, and three forced fumbles. One of the anchors in the middle of that Harvard defense that has a, a number of guys, including another player that we're going to be mentioning soon. Now, I hate to one-up you, especially in the linebacker division, but Jeremiah Taylor, our next guy from Princeton, he had a phenomenal year last year. Uh, senior, six foot two, two twenty-five. last year, racked up 62 tackles, ready, 14 and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, and four passes 
defended. That that's a that's a really good stat sheet for him. I mean, I just said Wright was the anchor of the defensive line. This guy is probably the anchor of the entire Princeton defense. He mans up and he plays really good uh, defense. I would argue that Taylor was one of the best linebackers last year, and he's easily the best returning one because to have one of the top tackling totals in the conference, and then on top of that, to have 14 and a half tackles for loss, as well as four passes defense, that just shows versatility that you can play at the line of scrimmage, you can fill gaps, but at the same time, you can play back and drop back very well in zone and you can play strongly as a, you know an interior linebacker in passing situations there's not a lot of guys that can do both things at the college level we see that very often where guys are either good at one thing or the other which is you know rushing the passer or playing at the line of scrimmage stopping the run and then they'll struggle in trying to stop passes but he has that speed he has that athleticism that he can cover tight ends all that good stuff and still rack up those passes defended after right. taylor our, our final two dbs that we're going to wrap things up with harvard defensive back isaiah wingfield six foot 185 last season he had 40 tackles and one pick so a number of really good defensive players that we net mentioned from harvard which is a lot of promise for a team that was only four and six last year. It's it's good to have these younger guys that are going to continue to help improve this team. I completely agree. And yet another Princeton player. This is not on purpose that I'm covering all the Princeton uh, <laughs> players on this list. It's just how it worked out. Uh, Princeton defensive back Dylan Stallworth, five foot ten, one eighty five. Corner for them last year racked up sixty tackles. Really great for a corner. That's a really great number there. Five passes defended and one interception. Sean, now that we've mentioned all of our players, if you were to pick one person, it seems like you and I are in pretty big agreement here. Who would you pick as your player to watch next season to be a huge standout? Initially. The first player I was going to watch was Kevin Davidson's replacement at Princeton. But then I really started thinking. I said, Sean, you saw him play. You saw this guy EJ Perry play. Perry was acknowledged as a first-team All-Ivy player. Davidson was an Ivy League honorable mention so that shows how highly this league values Perry. Perry being on the worst team in the Ivies last year. Made first team at the quarterback position. From This guy is a baller. I mean, he just finds, he has the intangibles of someone that knows how to uh, just effectively move that ball down the field. I mean, he can scramble. He puts the ball where he needs to put it. And you see that he is ranking higher than a guy that just went to the Combines, likely going to go to the NFL next year in Davidson. And Davidson was on an 8-1 and team, or an 8-2 and team. Perry was on a, a one-win team, maybe. I, I can't remember Brown's record. It, it's nuts to me. I mean, this guy is the guy to watch in the Ivies next year. It's hard not to put a guy as the top quarterback on your all-Ivy team when he breaks records for all-purpose yards. And Perry, we saw him firsthand. 
he was the reason why our game against Brown was so close because we were dominating them on most aspects of the field. We were able to, for the most part, slow down their run game, but they would get in these third and long situations. And because he's so athletic and he has those mobility skills that he was able to escape the pocket when he wasn't able to find his first opportunity and pick up those first downs. When you have a guy that has a versatile skill set of being able to throw the ball accurately, cleanly, consistently. He needs to work on that pick total where he threw 13 last year. But if you have a guy that can be relatively consistent as a passer and then be a huge threat as a runner, you're going to have a lot of problems trying to stop that guy. Perry is only at the cusp of what he can really hit. I feel in terms of his full ceiling, he had one year with an Ivy league offense coming from Boston college He's going to get even better, and he's going to finish off extremely strong here at Brown. I I fully expect him to have an incredibly dominant season next year. I would be absolutely shocked, and I will pull this clip of us talking him up if he is not the best player in the first All-Ivy selection uh, from Brown. If Perry is not that guy, I will be in absolute shock at the end of the season because of what he was able to do last year. You said... The third and long completions. I'm focused on the three or four fourth and long conversions. I completely forgot that about he made that. Yeah. Us. yeah, completely forgot about that. Brown just said, F it. We're going for it on fourth and long. <laughs> and they got it. They did it multiple times. They ever I think they were almost a hundred percent on on converting fourth downs because they knew if if the if their option wasn't there to, to pass the ball, whatever their, their primary route was, Perry could pick it up with his legs. We didn't have linebackers that were quick enough to, to, to get to him and compete with him uh, if, they were, if they were too busy, preoccupied, trying to cover receivers and tight ends. So, Sean, if we're talking about sleepers for this co- conference, teams that are under the radar that weren't the winners last year, who would you pick as a sleeper to maybe not win the conference but be one of those top teams? I, I mean, I'm riding the train here, and it hurts being a roadie guy for four years. Um, Brown. I have to go with Brown. Well, I've, I, 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 football, I fully agree with that pick. You know, it, may, it makes a ton of sense because of you're now in the second regime, or second year of the regime under their new head coach, and you have Perry and also a few key returners. They're going to take a huge step forward. I think they will, too. I think that they're the biggest sleeper, and if you're ruling them out just because the record this year, I highly suggest that you uh, stay optimistic about this team in the upcoming year. Sean, if you were to pick somebody that's going to fall off that was one of these top half teams, who, who do you think that's going to be? Who do you think is going to take a – doesn't need to be a, a drastic step backward, but just enough of a step backward that it draws attention. Like Princeton, I would argue, last year was a big faller because they went from winning the conference to being third. Yeah, I, I think it has to be Dartmouth, given that when we're going through these key returning players, it's pretty sparse. We're talking about Dartmouth players. I think they're losing a lot of seniors, and it's hard to, to win it all, all over again. So, uh, realistically, maybe it's a cop-out saying the first the, the winner of the conference isn't going to win it again, but I'm going with Dartmouth. That honestly makes the most sense, and I I picked Dartmouth, too, to agree with you because they're losing the most impact players from the conference. They're losing Isaiah Swan, who was a huge standout um, at the College Gridiron Showcase and also played in the East-West Shrine game, if I'm correct. 
They also are losing Nico Lalos, who is one of the best, was one of the best defensive linemen in the conference. I mean, the guy had a pick last year just to prove how how athletic and rangy he is, and he's going to end up in an NFL training camp. They're also losing one of their spot starting quarterbacks, uh, Jared Garabino, but they still are returning Derek Kyler uh, to start at quarterback. But still, there's a lot of guys that really stand out to me that were really good players in this conference for Dartmouth that are leaving, and that's usually a recipe not for disaster, but for at least a step backward. Good programs will reload but it's hard to reload and and win your conference two years in a row when you're losing very key performers like this. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Sean, if you're going to pick a favorite to win, who are you picking? Give me Harvard. Harvard, really? I'm taking Harvard. Do you care to elaborate? No. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm picking Princeton. Straight up. Okay, I'm picking Money. Princeton. <laughs> I, th- I think when you look at all the guys that we were mentioning here, Princeton's returning a really good running back in Edie. In addition to that, they're returning Bobo as an offensive lineman and then also defensive players as well that were key starters. I think if you look at that list, they had almost the most players that are returning that were all Ivy selections. And I get it. It's going to be tough to fill in for uh, Kevin Davidson who ends up replacing him but still I think that that team is always talented they're always a really really good program and whoever steps up will do fine and will be ready to compete have any qualms with that no I don't I will see how it goes I mean it's a good pick it's a good pick we're going to start talking about the independent teams, but before we get to them, I want to fill you in from um, on a message from one of our sponsors that is Bet on a line while you're waiting this out at home, that being quarantining with us. You can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag with no NBA, NHL, or MLB. You might think there's really nothing to bet on. That would be my assumption that there's nothing to bet on. But Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. I actually I didn't use Bet Online. I'm going to start using it, but I have I've been playing virtual poker with my friends just for fun on the weekends because we can't go and play with each other. We can't hang out with each other. So it's a it's a great way to, if you're missing out and doing that stuff, you can hop in a lobby with your buddies, wager some money, and have some fun. There's also eSports. If you've seen all these tournaments that are going on on ESPN where they're playing 2K and Madden, things like that you can bet on, as well as American Idol, Big Brother, The Elections, The Spelling Bee, and also uh, the $750,000 poker series there's still fun to be had so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code mypod100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit again that's betonline.ag and use the promo code mypod100 betonline your online wagering experts sean these independent teams that we're going to dive into here it's not a a very deep group it's only a few teams and we just want to highlight them because there's no standings there's no uh trophy to be won here because it's not actually a conference it's just the teams that don't have anyone anywhere to play it's actually a lot of teams that are moving up or moving laterally from conferences so our first team and on this list is tarleton state they're moving up from the division two after having an 11-1 season 
Presbyterian is moving out of their conference to the independent because they had a wildly unsuccessful year going two and 10 Uh, North Alabama, still an independent four and seven Dixie state moving from division two, losing a ton of really good players for them. Um, they're moving up from Division Two, like I said. And then lastly, Merrimack is still an independent program. Last year, uh, they were 6-5. and five. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at this. I- I'm excited that the FCS is adding Tarleton State and Dixie State. I want to see how they're going to do. Um, I- independent, I-, I guess they're just getting their feet in the water, uh, testing it out. But it- we have to – there's really – it's hard to gauge – how these two teams will perform in the FCS right now coming up from division two. But I mean, if it was so expected that both of these teams were going to come up, they're obviously talented. They're obviously well coached and they obviously know how to run a football program. If you're moving up a conference. So it's exciting that we're adding these, these teams. Uh, but I mean, the independence as a whole, uh, not incredibly impressive. Um, I mean, we, there's not, like with the players to watch, they're not the, the the star star players. I mean, we have Keaton Mott, quarterback for Dixie State last year, threw for twelve hundred yards, ten touchdowns, but he was also competing with Cody Wilstead, Dixie State quarterback, sixteen hundred yards, eighteen touchdowns. So it's cool that we're coming in. Dixie State's going to have a quarterback duel between both of these guys. They're going to be seniors uh, next year, but you know. They just haven't grabbed anybody yet, uh, and I'm hoping that the that that these independent players do. Yeah, and I, the one thing with these two programs that are joining the independents, Tarleton and Dixie State, last year we didn't really have uh, huge competitive teams like LIU and Merrimack were not dominant at the levels that they were moving up from. And they were decent programs, and LIU had a below-average season in the NEC. Merrimack had an, an okay season as an independent. Um, but Dixie State and Tarleton State have been very, very good programs at the Division II level, and I fully expect them to compete and surprise a couple teams that are thinking like, oh, you know, we're going to – we're going to knock the crap out of this team. They're moving up from Division Two, but that's not going to happen. Uh, some of these other players that are on this list that we have here, we just put put together a couple players that are coming from these small programs. Uh, Dylan Hendricks, defensive lineman from Dixie State, had 10 sacks last year. That's a pretty big uh, sack total. He's a redshirt junior. Yeah, and then uh, Charleston State uh, linebacker Ronnie Wilson last year, uh, highest on the list so far, 81 tackles. Two interceptions and seven tackles for loss. It's really good that Tarleton State's bringing this guy back. If you're talking about Merrimack, you have to bring up their quarterback. 2,000 passing yards last year and 15 touchdowns for Christian Carter, who is a junior. A pretty athletic guy, and he caused some fits for us when we played them last year. I would expect him to take a, a slight step forward uh, now that he's fully comfortable at the Division One level. And... Uh... Finally, Merrimack's uh, returning the defensive lineman, Corey Hagerman, uh, one of the guys that we definitely had to focus on in the O-line room last year before we played him last year. He totaled nine and a half sacks, 13 tackles for losses. Uh, he's best defensive lineman on the team coming back, so keep an eye on him. All right, that is all we have for you today on our list of players to know from the two conferences. Well, the one conference and then the independent teams 
that we highlighted in today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on social media at Joe DeLeon at Sanderson Radio and also follow Belief Podcasts at BLEAV Podcasts. Um, also, go head on over to Believe.com, spelled B-L-E-A-V.com, where you can find our show as well as a number of other hundreds of amazing shows. You can also catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, you name it, we are there. We're also on Art19. Stick around for next week when we are going to be transitioning to the HBCU conferences and talking about the SWAC and the MEAC. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.